welcome to this week's edition of the Present Age Podcast. I am your host, Parker Malloy. Joining me on today's show is baseball writer and all-around good dude, Keith Law. Keith is the author of two books, Smart Baseball, the story behind the old stats that are ruining the game, the new ones that are running it, and the right way to think about baseball, and more recently, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves. Let's get started. All right, joining me this week is uh, Keith Law. <laughs> hey, Keith. Hey, how are you? Uh-huh, I'm doing all right. So one of the reasons I wanted to I wanted to kind of have you on here was a uh, my love of baseball. B, we've been talking for like what, like three, four years or something. Yeah, I think now? so. Yeah. So, and you're you're just a great person to talk to on Twitter and everything like that. Um, but see you know a a big part of this podcast and newsletter is has to do with the odd times that we live in Mm -hmm. and on that front there there were few things as bizarre to me as uh it's baseball during the pandemic which at first it seemed like the 2020 season might be canceled Mm -hmm. and then it came back it was a shortened season but without fans and then watching on tv there were the cardboard cutouts of fans that was kind of weird and the fake crowd noise that came with it. It was, to me, it was a bit like watching it, like a deleted scene from an Avengers movie where all the, (laughs) where all the actors, you have like Mark Ruffalo in like a mocap suit because it's like, he will be the Hulk here when we finish the CGI, but it's not done yet. Right. We haven't finished painting in the players yet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that's, that's kind of what it felt like. And it was so odd to me and I can't even imagine what it was uh, like for you, someone who, who you cover baseball for a living. So what, what has it been like writing about and covering baseball in such an odd time? Yeah. Last year was, it sucked from a work perspective. Um, It's the first year since before I got into the industry. So my first year doing anything baseball professionally full-time was 2002 my first year in the Blue Jays front office and so 2020 was the first time since probably well before then that I went a full calendar year without going to a baseball game Um, I think if you even just count the high school and college stuff I do I went something like 380 days between going to games which was um, I mean one just lousy because I like doing it right it's the best part of the job is going to the games evaluating players but also it was just sort of, wait, I don't, how do I do this, right? There's so much of my job is so much of it is driven by the act of going to the game and either seeing the players or it's people I talk to when I'm at the games or, or afterwards, Hey, I just saw your double A affiliate. This guy looked really good. What's going on with, Hey, did this guy add a new pitch? That's just such a huge part of the rhythm of the job. And then to have basically no minor league anything in 2020 and very little college or high school stuff. And I don't really go to major league games much, if at all, because I can watch them on TV and get better, you know, often have better views on TV than I'm going to get at the ballpark. Um, Especially last year where they were like, Oh, you can come sit in the press box, but you can't, you can't walk anywhere. We're going to actually physically nail you to your seat. Oh, fun. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, it it was just sort of, wait, I have to rethink, think how I do parts of my job. And I was, would just like watch certain players on, on uh, MLB TV and write pseudo scouting reports. Like, Hey, is what I saw so far. It's not great. I don't love it, but this is what we got. At least this year, once the, you know, I did some high school stuff, a couple of college things. I flew once in the spring 
um, once I got my second shot. And then once the minor league started, I could actually go to games. I could, I have been doing that one or two a week, you know, which is less than I would usually do, but still, at least I'm going out and seeing games. That's been easier. And it's like, oh yeah, I remember how to do this. I, I know what this is. First few were weird, definitely. Yeah. But then after a while, you sort of get back into the rhythm. It's like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I think I could do this. When it comes to the actual major league baseball sort of experience, I keep thinking back to the, um, there, there was that game during in Baltimore during the Freddie Gray protests. Yes. Where yep. the White Sox were playing the Orioles, and it was just so surreal yeah. with no sounds. And I kind of wanted that to come back. I was I was kind of looking forward to like this like nice yeah. chill silent thing, but then they they pumped in the, the fake crowd noise. And well, that game was such obviously the circumstances were oh, yeah. terrible, but just from a baseball perspective, was so fascinating. It was like, oh, this is what baseball sounds like with nothing else. It was like, this is kind of cool. I yeah. like this. You know, you could really hear the crack of the bat. You can hear the pitch hitting the catcher's mitt. It, you know, to me, it captured some of what I like of going to these low-level games, whether it's high school or low minors. And I was at a game the other night. Where the heck was I on Tuesday? Oh, my God, so bad. Wherever I went, though. Aberdeen. I went to Aberdeen, which usually they draw, draw pretty well. But for whatever reason, this Tuesday night – there was nobody there at all. I could have had a one-on-one conversation with the second baseman and it would have been fun. We had no problems hearing each other. And, but there's part of that that I absolutely love too, because then I can just hear what's on the field. It actually gets, you know, I don't love all the shenanigans that are there, you know, the, the music and stuff between, oh, wait, we have a five second delay. We got to play a song. We can't have anybody be bored ever. You know, but whatever. I'm not the audience for that, right? I'm not the target. But then it was even more glaring too when they like have to pipe in five seconds of Fallout Boy, yeah. you know, because they got to play the latest hits, obviously, um, that are twenty years old. And you know, then it's no, no, no. I was, I was, I was listening to the game. I was really into the sounds of the game, and it's like that. I love that. That to me is a big part of it, and it's actually very comforting to me when I'm at a game and it's. No, the real sound is what's happening on the field. All the other stuff is very, it's like static, right? It's very distracting to me because I try to be very focused on, it's usually I'm focused on a player more than I'm focused on on the game itself. But still, it's the same thing. It's the sound. The sound is part of the experience and part of what I love about going to games. Yeah, music playing constantly, constantly having different sort of ways to keep the crowd entertained and... It's like they think people are going to leave in the fourth inning if they're not sufficiently entertained. So no, 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 they're here. And many of them have already started drinking, so they're not leaving right now. Yeah, well, exactly. And also, a lot of those stadiums aren't exactly right in the middle of a city. No. Uh, you know, if, if you drove out there to go to that game, you are there. Right. And <laughs> But but also, it, it just strikes me as so odd that, you know, minor league, minor league baseball players are famously underpaid and can barely kind of scrape by and it seems so weird that there's this like fun house pushed around them as they're really just trying to uh trying to get by i mean one thing i love about minor league baseball are uh are the hats yeah the logos. oh yeah i have i have i have a bunch of just various i've got uh what's the rocky mountain vibes yep. which is like the uh it's it's a s'more that's on fire <laughs> and it's just chilling out with like sunglasses and it's just the best thing ever sure that's what i do when i'm on fire yeah no totally i mean that's it it's perfect it makes sense and 
you know, the one the the reason for so much of that is to <laughs> teams will rename themselves these kind of goofier things. Or oh yeah, the jumbo shrimp. It's yeah, the one I can't exactly. get past. Jumbo shrimp. Yeah. Jump, yeah. Yeah. Which to me, it's I was somebody had me on the radio. I think it was ESPN radio had me on to talk about Cleveland changing their name to the Guardians mm-hmm. um, from obviously racist team name. Yeah. And yeah, I said, you know, this is the, you know explain why it's a good name. It has a classic feel. It has a local tie in, et cetera. And I said, it's not ridiculous, right? There's always the I at least have this worry that anytime any team's going to have a new name, that they're going to say they're going to pick something that you know it's going to bunch of people got in a room and they did marketing. And suddenly they're going to, oh yeah, let's do the, you know, the Jumbo Shrimp is a great name for a minor league baseball team. It would be a horrendous name for a major league team. And that's like, if you've just know baseball, you completely understand. If you don't follow baseball, you'd probably say, what is, what is the difference? I don't understand. It's, it's hard to explain. It's just, we have such a dichotomy between what is big league and what is not big league. Yeah. It would it would be odd if there was a, a major if they were the Cleveland Trash Pandas. Trash Pandas. It's the other one I was going to say, right? I had a choice, right? Uh, well, a friend of mine, uh, he's driving cross country because he's moving to Arizona, and he texted me from the Amarillo Sod Poodles uh-huh. Stadium. Yeah. yeah. Which another one? I just I don't even know what that is. Stadium looks nice though. I got to say, I've never been there, but trying yes. to see, see what I've got here. I've got a as, as you can see, I have a bobblehead of the Sea Wolves. It's oh, uh, Erie? Yeah. Yeah. Erie Seawolves, Nick Castellanos. <laughs> yes. And there's a drive to left field, and that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. game. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is- yes. That's the, when I worked for the Blue Jays, the New Haven Ravens, I think, were uh, sold, and the new owners moved them to Manchester, New Hampshire, which um, they played one year in a temporary field and got a great new stadium. Used to love going up there. And they were the Fisher Cats. What the hell is a Fisher Cat? It turns out it's a, it is a, it's local, right? It absolutely makes perfect sense, but it's a weasel. And I would have to say, like, the New Hampshire weasels probably just wouldn't sell as well. So, I mean, I think they, they made a good choice. Um, just, you know, I think of this as, uh, you know, that to me also is sort of the difference between, like, it's the same thing. It's a good difference between a good name and a bad name. Fisher Cat, totally local. Apparently, they're really annoying, too, but it's a very distinctly New Hampshire thing. If you're not from there, you don't know what this is. And I, of course, was not. What the hell is a Fisher cat? Oh, it's a screech weasel. But the New Hampshire screech weasels just doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Yeah, I mean that's a uh... God. Im- imagine being paid like poverty wages to play for a team. And be like, I play for some weasels. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the The ownership has fun with our name, I guess at least. So. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's. I'm actually very glad to see there's been. I feel like a you know exponential growth on in just among Twitter baseball baseball Twitter of uh, acknowledgement that the way minor league players are treated is totally unacceptable in a multi multi billion dollar industry and I don't know why this year we hit the tipping point but okay good I mean it's five ten years too late but whatever we're there we're getting there I'm always t- I'm just I it's a bit of an optimist bias I guess but it is that you know what this is progress we are finally making progress it's too late but at least we're moving in the right direction I think a lot of that, a lot of that sort of comes down to, or a lot of the resistance to some of that that I that you see on Twitter, where it's oh, well they're playing a game, they should be happy with whatever, the, blah blah blah, you know, yeah. like that that sort of stuff is is sort of based on this idea that um, where people will think, oh well, one person on that team may someday make a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, one person True. on that team may do that. 
most of them won't. Uh, most of them probably, you know, depending on what level you're talking about, probably won't make it to, you know, the major leagues at all. And right. that's, yeah, that's the same same discussion we keep having about college athletes as well, yep. where it's, well, she, they got a free education, yeah, which, sure, I guess. But at the same time, sort of. they're making yeah. so much money for their schools right. and for all the people who are who go pro. There are so many others who, in football, for instance, just get a bunch of head injuries and have to go about their life, yeah. which is yes. scary. Well, and we, we see this. So baseball's problem in college is, it, to me, it's twofold. It's different. The, the football and the basketball players, and the, that's men's and women's basketball players now, they're generating so much revenue for their schools. That the fact that the money doesn't trickle down to the players is its own um, tragedy isn't the word. It's a crime. I mean, to me, it is, it is a crime. I think the NCAA is essentially a cartel, and I would love to see an antitrust case around that. In baseball... Most of the players, if not all, I mean, there are almost no players with full scholarships in baseball. So they're not getting a free education. They're getting a subsidized education. Okay, sure. But yeah, those players can get hurt, especially college pitchers. I'm sure you've seen me yeah. ranting about these high pitch counts. And, you know, if a college player blows out his elbow or his shoulder and has to have surgery and obviously there are complications, which, hell, there's freaking, there was a player at George Mason who had Tommy John surgery and then died. I believe he got some kind of infection or something. They had a, a completely unusual complication from the surgery and ended up dying from it. Like that's oh, obviously that is the worst of the worst well, case yeah. scenarios, but still like these are real people who are not paid, but can incur actual injuries, life altering, life ending complications. And they get nothing. And there is just this group of mostly people whose Twitter avatars are them in their sunglasses, taken while they're in their cars, who will say things like, oh, it's just a game. Oh, they should suck it up. And that's not – It's you're not even having a conversation at that point, right? I mean it's – and we see this on multiple issues. It obviously goes way beyond sports. But it's, it, it's people who just – they're so intransigent that they can't even hear supporting arguments – for the other side, like saying, you know, pointing out that they're, they're not playing a game. This is work. They're probably at the ballpark nine to 10 hours a day. And then minor leaguers aren't even paid in the off season, but they have to continue to keep their bodies in shape and continue to at least do things to maintain arm strength or, you know, muscle tone or work on their swings on their own, just on their own time for no pay, very little, you know, no financial support from the team. They may get you know training support. Um, this is, it is a job. It's a real job and it's a physically taxing job. And just because what you see, somebody said this to me on Twitter the other day, well, they only work like three hours a day. I'm like, that's the game. That's the actual, right? First pitch to last pitch. Hell of a lot more than that. That's like saying an actor who made a movie, well, she only worked for two hours, right? Because the movie was two hours long. So obviously that's all it was. And we should, she should make about 30 bucks, right? $15 an hour, two hours. There you go. That's fair. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's interesting to me because it takes this this argument that we see all kind of all over the place where so many people are more concerned about someone getting what they deem is more than they should for any one thing. It doesn't matter what who it affects or what it affects. We hear this when it comes up in uh, discussions about. Should student loan debt be forgiven? Well, yeah, but what about this one? Mm -hmm. If someone paid it down and then they're not getting something that someone else is or 
a job that pays really well or some, something along those lines. And really, I think it, it kind of is, is just a great example of the way that as society, we kind of hold each other back in, in the sense that we're fighting the fight on behalf of billionaires to, to not pay people. And just, just the other day, uh, Scarlett Johansson sued uh, Disney over how they released Black Widow because she took a deal that was really heavy on uh, the box office numbers, yeah. and, and they and Disney cut her out of the Disney Plus stuff that that they did when they released it. And so many people are rushing to defend Disney in this. It's, yeah, she's one of the highest paid actresses on the planet, but she's still the little guy in this situation right. if if disney can screw her over they could screw anyone over and that's kind of the the thing that gets lost so much because so much of us would would kill to be in uh in scarlett johansson's place you know it, fame and you know finances and all of that but we we end up defending billionaires and millionaires and all of that and uh and we defend corporations that's the thing yeah. i can't understand and I, trust me i'm no i'm no socialist here yeah. i you know it's not but it is there is a weird i can't even call it capitalist it's like this weird corporatist status you know the the people who jump in to defend disney and i worked for disney for a long time actually as companies go to work for they're pretty good actually benefits were always very good um and they were progressive on at least many issues um but this idea that like first of all disney to, they're not gonna love you back right that's definitely true like there's no what i don't know what this what the goal is of defending a multi-billion dollar conglomerate like that in it but i feel like people see an individual who's already rich, Scarlett Johansson in this case, already very rich. And they say, well, it's not fair that she gets money and they can't do the same thing with the company on the other side, the company just not being a person. Although I think Supreme Court said companies are people. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe I should rethink this, but that they just, they can't understand that. But they, so they immediately see person asking for too much money. I'm air quoting the too much here and they get mad. Because that's not fair, which I have three kids. Um, and there's like, and they're all at different ages. And yet that's not fair is like the common vernacular of the household, right? Nothing is, they're so locked in on fairness. And there's a part of me that just wants to scream, hey, the world is not fair. We're just preparing you for this. And it's, that's what I see when I see these people saying you know it's not fair that scarlett johansson wants more money no she actually wants what she was contractually entitled to get and disney doing an end run around the contract is not legal and something we should all oppose right if companies can just run roughshod over contracts they have signed negotiated and signed in good faith then we're all screwed we absolutely should be rooting for scarlett johansson it's not even so much about i don't care what dollar figure she gets i want the contract to be upheld because yeah. some hey i did sign contracts with disney as it turns out and they upheld their terms of the contracts, and so did I. And we should absolutely want that to be in place. And that's why you should be supporting Scarlett Johansson in this particular lawsuit. But people don't see that. They just see, and probably worse because she's a woman, 
obviously, a woman asking for more money, and that that becomes a that's not fair. I don't like that, and that's that's the end of it. I mean, and you can't argue against. You can't have a conversation like you just laid out the argument of of why Disney is acting probably acting in bad faith here. Mm -hmm. You can't get to that point because the the sunglasses Twitter avatar crowd is just they can't get past fair. Yeah. They they end up running running interference for these companies. Yes, to yeah. avoid having having to do that, and yeah, they're like an unpaid social media SWAT team. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's even to me it's even weirder when when you see it's uh, especially in the the Twitter mentions of like Elon Musk, his <laughs> his fan base, his the the dudes who love him will who would jump in front of a bullet for him mm -hmm. like they are something else they i and i have i've for the life of me i cannot figure out what the what the end game is here because there are there are people who will be like oh i, I love tesla i got laid off but i love tesla still and all of this blah 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 <laughs> it's like they laid you off man yeah. you don't you don't have to be happy with you, them you, you get to be mad actually yeah, you could be like kind of irritated that's fine but they'll do that and they'll be like how dare you speak ill of of Elon just because he wanted to put people back in the uh, in the factories during during the middle of a COVID surge. It's like, well, you're there because you you just explained why. Yeah. Um, I, like I don't know if they if they think that someday like Elon Musk is just gonna be like, thanks for defending me. Here's a million dollars because he could and uh, and, yes, that would, he could. You know. and not miss it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if any billionaires want to just Venmo me a million dollars, I'm cool yes. with it. But. Uh, I'm not Eloy, I'm not Elon would pay you Dogecoin or something. Yeah, if, <laughs> you know, if you hang on to this, yes. just just wait like forty years. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's gotten. I mean, look, Twitter is toxic to begin yeah. with. But that you know, I just and I think you and I have even talked about this. I just anyone who snitch tags, I just block at this point because if you tag. And Elon Musk, for example, and I'm, it's not even specifically about him. You tag someone like that, and his followers catch on to it. Forget it. You just you got to log off for a few days. The site becomes totally unusable. At that oh point. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that and that's that's kind of the the sort of uh, I, I I was trying to explain why people with larger followings have have, have a responsibility to not be jerks on the internet. Uh, because someone will say, well, why is it okay for this small account to, to be mean? But if Donald Trump picks a fight with someone, and it would be like, well, if Don when Donald Trump would pick a fight with someone on Twitter, he was sending tens of millions of people mm -hmm. to, to go and flood that person with all sorts of horrible stuff that could bleed over into their everyday lives. And yep. there's just, it's a responsibility. It's, it's a look at how to respond to things proportionally based on your own position and the position of the other people that you're criticizing. And uh, I, I tried to explain it once as it's like, if you're, you're at a baseball game, for instance, and someone, and you're, you're standing there and suddenly a beer spills on your head mm -hmm. and you turn around ready to fight the person who poured a beer on your head. And you see that it was a baby that knocked it out of like their mom's hand or something. Are, are you going to punch the baby? <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it, some of these people might, they might. And yeah. that's, that's, that's where I maybe need to recalibrate that, uh, <laughs> that little analogy for a bit, but it's, it, the idea stands, stands up. I think where 
don't, don't punch the baby. <laughs> That's my. This hot is day. where we've sunk as a society that we have to remind people not to punch the baby. See, I'll do that, and someone will be like, "Well, because you told me not to punch the baby, I yes. am going to punch the baby so much harder." Oh yeah, I got that for for pointing out that Anthony Rizzo is essentially he's a vaccine refuser. Yeah. Called him an anti-vaxxer. To me, that is a distinction without a difference at this point. If you come out and publicly say you're not getting the vaccine, you're an anti-vaxxer at it's, this point. <sighs> and somebody said, it's because of people like you that the rest of us will be defiant about not getting the vaccine. First of all, you're going to get COVID to own who? Me? Okay, sure. Yeah. But like, if that's the if that was all it took... I have many more questions. Yeah, we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, we are doomed. Oh, we are definitely doomed. Yeah. Yes. Well, and that's uh, that was another thing I wanted to, to quickly ask ask you about with with athletes. Um, you know what they say. What they say matters, and what they mm-hmm. say can influence people because people look up to athletes. I, I mean, I look up some athletes, and if if they say something, I'll I'll go oh like. You know, like if Sean Doolittle says something, I'll be like, gonna say, yep, he's Sean, our guy. Is, Sean is, is my favorite, favorite guy on the planet. And, um, I was at the Cubs game. He did not pitch again. Mm. <sighs> Never seen him pitch in person. I've, I've, I've been to games where he's, he's been on one of the teams several times, <laughs> um, yeah. which is so weird, but, um, but yeah. So like if, if Sean says something, if he says, uh, check out this band or something or, or you know, takes a political position or something on something. I, I'll, I'll think about that and I'll consider it. And I'm sure that there are, are people who look up to uh, Anthony Rizzo or in, in the NFL, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy in the Buffalo Bills, the Cody Beasley, Beasley, Beasley. That's stop it. talking and can't yeah. wear his mask properly. Yeah. Well, and, and then the bills promoted that tweet. I that saw that. It's just why. But so my question to you is what responsibility do you think that, that athletes have in these sorts of situations? Because I think if the messaging is the issue with getting people vaccinated, for instance, what moral or ethical responsibility, if any, do you think that athletes have to at very least not spread harmful information? Right. To me, that is... What they say and how they behave is separate from whether they get vaccinated themselves. And I hate even talking about it as a choice because I think there is a huge personal and civic responsibility to get vaccinated um, that has been there the whole time. Um, That's been there since April. I think it's even greater now. And now we are seeing, you know, Kay Ivey and Asa Hutchinson, like people get uh, Brian Kemp, governors, Republican governors of states that are now getting pounded by the Delta variant are all coming out and saying in various ways, get vaccinated. I thought Kay, Kay Ivey, and look, I'm not going to agree with Kay Ivey on basically anything, yeah. but I liked what she said. We got to blame the unvaccinated people here. Good for, yes, good. You should yeah. have said this six months ago, but good. Yeah. Um, I, better late than never. <laughs> right? Yes. I, again, I believe in any, any progress is good, even if it's late. I will take progress over because the alternative is is regression. So, but I think that athletes um, or anyone with a platform has a responsibility to. You would hope say the right thing, but it's say the right thing or just say nothing. Just yeah. don't. 
but they're spreading misinformation. They are repeating anti-vax tropes. We're waiting for more data. That's my favorite one. Like you don't know how much data there is. You have no fucking idea how much data there is. Clearly, if you start saying stuff like that, you are just repeating you something you saw on Facebook or Parler or whatever. Uh, and so, and you know, some of that could come down to the teams too. I think it's it would, you know, Anthony Rizzo talked about he made a comment like that back in April, and he was saying his immune system was the strongest it's ever been. As another implication of sort of I don't need this vaccine, my this great strong immune system. Okay, which good. struck me as odd given that he's he's, he's a cancer survivor, he's a cancer survivor, right? Thirteen years ago, yes. Yeah, like uh, like he, he knows how this stuff goes. You you would think, would right? Think. It. But I will also put a little bit on the Cubs in this, and, and maybe all teams were just unprepared for this or didn't think about what could happen when you stick a bunch of microphones in front of a bunch of players and ask them what is kind of a science question. You yeah. should say, hey, you're going to get asked about this. We can't make you get vaccinated. We'd really like you to get vaccinated, but we can't make you. Here's how we would like you to answer questions about vaccinations if you're asked, especially if you are a vaccine refuser. There are way better ways to approach that. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there, I just come down to, if you have a big platform, you have a responsibility and that is, and that includes the responsibility to say less. That is something I've tried to practice myself in the last couple of years is to, to say less, to make sure I'm not, uh, you know, inadvertently sending a swarm of my followers at somebody, um, because I have enough following, I don't have a huge following, but I have enough of a following that it could happen, right? And also to not spread misinformation. You know, I wouldn't do it deliberately. I think I'm, I try to be a critical thinker, but I'm subject to, I can make mistakes too. And yeah. so sometimes the best response is just saying less. And I don't want to misuse the platform. I think it's a privilege to have that many people following me and obviously interested in some things I have to say. And that means being judicious in what I do on the platform. And I would say the same thing to, to players. This is not actually about whether you're getting vaccinated. It's about what you say in public because it will affect how people live. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that, that's, that's a great point. Um, that is, uh, that's pretty much all I've got. I, I just wanted to, you know, pick, pick your brain for a little bit before uh, letting you get back to uh, trade deadline madness. Yeah, I, don't, right now. I don't think anybody's been traded since we started talking. So I that's hope. good. Yeah. yeah I couldn't get to sleep last night because I was like, every time I was like, oh, I finished. Okay. Wait, what do you, <laughs> wait, the Dodgers did what? Yeah. They're getting who? Yeah. Thank God I knew the prospects because there's always the chance or one of these deals where it's like, oh God, I got to find a scout who saw so-and-so because it's a player who's like, you know, yeah, players get traded now where they've got almost no pro experience. Guys are getting traded out of the, the Gulf Coast League or whatever. They're, I call it the Florida Man League. I think they're calling it the Florida Complex <laughs> League, which I understand it's at the complexes, but it makes it sound like the league itself is actually complex. Yeah. It's like, no, it's really not. It's pretty simple, actually. Yeah. So, but like, that's the worst part of the trade deadline. Is, I mean, my job is to know as many players as I can, but I can't know them all. And it's like someone's going to get traded at 358 today, two minutes before the deadline, and be like, I don't know who that is. And then it's the mad dash to the phone, right? Who, who can I text who can tell me they saw so-and-so play for the AZL Padres? Yeah, you've, you've got you've got accountants on uh, tax day and yeah. you on baseball uh, trade deadline day. Yes, this is my tax day. That's a pretty good – my brother-in-law is an accountant. So this this analogy works. You're like, I know how you feel. Yep. Um, 
but thank, thanks so much for joining me again, Keith. Is there anything you want to you want to plug? Before? Can I plug my book? Can I yeah, just mention course. my book? Yes. I was. So, I already mentioned it in the intro. That oh, well, thank you, thank but you. Do it again. Yes. So my second book, The Inside Game: Bad Calls, Strange Moves, What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves, came out in paperback this April from HarperCollins. You can buy it anywhere you buy books, and I would say please find an independent bookstore near you. They are probably partially reopened at this point, but they absolutely need our business. So. If you do buy it from the big company that shall not be named, I won't complain, but I try to do all my book buying through indie bookstores because they need us and we are a better society if we have more bookstores. I strongly believe that. That is a uh, that is a great policy. And what I'll do is I will be linking to uh, some indie bookstores to to buy that from. So Awesome. I will make it as easy as possible for people go. to get that. It's a full so. service podcast. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, thanks a lot, Keith. My pleasure. That's today's show. Thank you to Keith Law for joining me. As always, you can find a full transcript of our conversation at readthepresentage.com.